Hey everyone, welcome to We the People Protecting Our Children. This is a new series with the Mastermind Group that we sort of brainstormed that we felt was really relevant to not just give sovereign solutions for how we're rebuilding this new world as we um, kind of break down the truths, but specifically focus on the children. So this is part two. We did one last week on homeschooling, unschooling, and de-schooling, and not just our children, but the parents as well. And I want to open up with you, Pam, because, you know, you've been doing, providing a lot of resources for families as they transition to new ways of educating. And I want to be clear, we're educating, not schooling, because the schooling has been part of the programming that we've all um, been exposed to, all of us. And I think all of us have degrees. So we're like products of the system. And um, yet somehow we've all maintained this ability to think for ourselves. And Chris, you talked about that this morning in our conversation of staying wild. Um, what a radical idea of thinking for yourself and having critical thinking. But in order to homeschool our children, to pull them out of these school systems that are designed to um, not have them think for themselves. And we're going to break down a little bit of how we got here. And there's a lot of information. I've been a mom for almost three decades and homeschooled all my children. So this has been my world for a really long time. But I think there's a process. And part of what we want to do is support parents, everyone that are, is coming on these calls and navigating through that process. So I'll start with you, Pam, to just kind of share what you all are offering and what you're seeing with families. Yeah. So um, we had an interest in all of in homeschooling last summer because um, the school year was very chaotic and everybody knew last summer, you know, who knew if we were going to go back to school, that sort of thing. So we established and built this homeschool resource center, got a lot, tens of thousands of families used it, got their children out of traditional education, mainly because um, they didn't know if even education was going to be offered. Right. So we have a different problem today. Um, all of the school systems that I've looked at say they're going to go back to school. Um, but having said that, this um, I, we talked about this before, the American Rescue Plan Act has all this money in it for COVID mitigation. And I've been reading all of the school plans for the Central Ohio area. And, um, and they have varying degrees of detail. But what they basically say is that uh, we intend to go back to normal, except we want everybody washing their hands every time they enter and leave a classroom. And we want everybody to social distance and masks are recommended but not required and they go through all these lists of things it's ridiculous um, and then if the public health if the local public health officials want us to do something we'll comply with that and we'd like to have our schools used as a vaccination center because we want to encourage it well if you look at this some of these good thing go these things go on for pages it's really um, a lot of federal money to perpetuate COVID nonsense. And I think that a lot of parents are very concerned about this unstable environment for their children. So that reignited our interest in this. And we put a task force together to come up with resources. And, and I wanna be clear, we're not trying to persuade parents to do anything. I think what we wanna do is just have conversations with parents, with uh, experienced parents who know how to do this to say, listen, if you are concerned about this, we can help you with alternatives. And we have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails come in from teachers, retired teachers, substitute teachers, um, people who have special education background who can help get kids who have special needs out of trad traditional classrooms and into other um, settings. Uh, we're organizing our groups by school system, which means geographic proximity, which means that parents can get together to arrange things. So 
So for example, in the suburb that I live in, which is Worthington, Ohio, we have parents who are you know, a mile or two away from each other who are saying, we could hire a teacher to spend some time with our kids. We have businesses, mine's one of them, who are saying, we have a lot of space here, and if you wanna use some of it during the day, you're welcome to use it. And this is why our in-person meetings that we've promoted through throughout the last 16 months with Make Americans Free Again are so important because it's great to have us all tied together from different areas, like in this meeting here, but we can't really help each other with it. We can only help each other with it if with this education piece if we're all geographically close together. So uh, we're going to launch this after the uh, 4th of July holiday, and it's going to be a rolling program. In other words, this isn't just the summer for not sending kids to school this school year. I think what's going to happen is throughout the school year, as all this nonsense takes place, lots of parents are going to keep looking for alternatives, and we want to be there to provide it. So we don't see this as a short-term thing. We see this as an ongoing thing, like our small business rescue programs and all the other things that we do at Make Americans Free Again. We'll be in the help you educate your children business, if you want to call it that, for a very, very, very long time. So that's our And, and so grateful for that. So it's makeamericansfreeagain.com is the website. Right. All the resources are on there for parents who are looking for homeschool options and connections, as well as all the business entrepreneurs. And I see an overlap between like, as everything's deconstructing, many of you are in the healthcare. So we know that that's changing, obviously, but the uh, economy's changing and our education has to change. Andy, you weren't on the last one, but I know you've been homeschooling as a parent. And um, just that we were talking about the psychological impact right now on children who are actually going into the school systems and parents not feeling like they have a choice. I'd love for you to give your insight. Well, uh, there definitely is a choice. And, you know, I remember um, in the spring of 2020 when, you know, the schools were shut down for a period of time and other parents, you know, came up to me because I was still in a regular kind of work setting at that point, And they were saying, you know, it's really nice to have my kids home <laughs> and uh, maybe I should, you know, consider homeschooling. Because what, what we've just come become so accustomed to is that we let strangers raise our children for us, um, you know, in crowded uh, rooms in, in old dank buildings. And that's not really the natural way that kids are supposed to be raised. You know, uh, they say it takes a community, but not a school board to raise a child. And so this is really, you know, an opportunity to reconnect um, with your children and to like reestablish a real family system. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit down and like get your master's in education and, and uh, you know, follow some strict curriculum to the T or, you know, freak out like that. It doesn't mean that at all. It's uh, it can be a very, very different thing if you have different expectations and um, you know, sensibilities that are more natural. But the thing is that if the children who stay in the public school system, especially, but even in private schools, because they're often subject to the same kind of incentives and regulations, that they are undergoing uh, severe trauma and distress right now. Uh, in fact, they're really being groomed to be totally different beings than the previous generation because they're going to learn that, you know, staying away from people, being afraid of people, 
um, being unable to identify people is all normal, right? And so when they're older, they're gonna they're they're not gonna have the same social skills. They're not gonna have the same language skills because those things are clearly impeded by the current policies, which really have no basis um, or no rational reason. So in addition to that, because there are many children who, you know, had to go through this transition, it wasn't like this from the beginning, and those kids are subjected to major trauma. And we see even agencies like the CDC are acknowledging the uh, vast increase in suicide-related phenomena, um, which is a you know major sign of distress. We've also seen a major rise in overdose presentations to the emergency departments. So this is a very, very serious crisis and a, a way that you can really kind of solve this, but also bring so much more richness to your family life and your raison d'etre as a parent is to educate your child at home. And it does not have to be uh, laborious, but rather a labor of love. And when we trace back the beginnings of the educational system and you're, you're kind of research oriented, Andy. So as you looked back to like how we've had many conversations of how the educational system started and what it was intended for, I don't Going think back I to Prussia. <laughs> 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 well, even if we go back to the beginning of the century, right, and the purpose of the educational system to create good factory workers, pulling them off the farm, we'll say, and even by force, like this wasn't, this is, uh, you know, we've gotten accustomed um, to, as parents, and I'm speaking as a parent, to um, having other people educate our children and handing over our parenting to other people. And like, as you said, strangers, and it's been, um, we've been indoctrinated over a period of time. So we are, are products of that. And then it just gets worse and worse as we go along. So we're at this point now that um, when we look at all the things that are culminating together, it's very easy for them to create situations for people to hand over their children and for them to feel like they don't have a choice. Yeah. What well, part, you know, part of, and uh, you know, this is not have anything to do with the fact that women are as capable as men, but one of the consequences of women's liberation and women being encouraged to go back to work is that it left a void in the home, like who is gonna raise the children. So school became a necessary childcare operation. And if you look at the hours of the school, for example, you know, there's been always much, much criticism, anyone uh, who deals with teenagers, that the school hours are, you know, horrible for them because they stay up late, they need to sleep late. But the reason why school starts, you know, at seven in the morning is, is so the parents can get the children out of the house and still have time to get to work on time, right? So it's sort of like uh, this complementary system. And I realized that it makes uh, for a difficult financial situation for many people to have your children at home if you, you know, have both parents working or if you have a single parent household. And, you know, for myself, for example, um, I have my children 50% uh, of the time. So like three school days one week and two school days the next week. But I also work probably, you know, the equivalent of one and a half to two full-time jobs. But somehow I, you know, and I'm fortunate that most of my work is from home, um, although I have taken them on the road and done road school. 
But, uh, you know, I'm back and forth between, you know, my computer and my conference calls and interviews and the, and the kids have a routine. You know, they go upstairs uh, when I have interviews um, and work quietly in their rooms. Um, and then, you know, I have like office hours where they can uh, come and get me. So it can be done like it's often hectic. And I don't know how I, you know, also make meals those days. And sometimes it's not optimal, but, you know, we get it done and we don't, you know, the kids don't end up working into the evening or anything crazy. You know, it's like there's a balance for free time. And there's also lots of, you know, you have to figure out how to make some social opportunities, but there are plenty available. So it's not like, you know, your kid's going to be sequestered away from the rest of the world either. Right. And, and we pointed out before that kids in schools are not suffering from socialization because they can't even read the facial expressions. So that argument is yes. outdoor. And for the, you know, the past 30 years, that's the one thing. Well, how are your kids going to be socialized? And just testimony too that. I mean, I worked full time, ran an organic cafe. I opened the first one in Connecticut for a decade that um, my kids, that was our classroom. And that was seven days a week, 12 hours a day and homeschooled six children. So yes, I believe it's possible when you get really creative. Luckily, my solution, Andy, was that I was cooking food all day long. So I didn't, that's, that was, um, food was our main curriculum. But what happens is- Well, that's an important one, Imani. (laughs) It it is, to me, it was the most important. I, I was really inspired to not have them eat any kind of school lunch or be influenced by other kids. That was my driving motivation back in the day. Um, but anything can become a curriculum, right? And what, and I, you know, my children are my greatest teachers and we learn with our children. It's not that we have to teach them, we learn with them. So if you want to learn a subject or they do, then it doesn't mean you have to know everything. And I think that this, this is a good segue for you, Larry, because the way you, you know, address children and talk about how we even speak to children and how we ask them questions and how do we frame them actually speaking for themselves rather than telling them what to do or feeling like we have to be the expert all the time. Larry, just unmute yourself. For some reason, I can't unmute you. I am unmuted. Thank you. Um, what, I, what I find interesting is um, the COVID experience has given us uh, as a whole the opportunity to reassess um, how are kids educated and how do kids learn best. And what, what's interesting is that the people who are abdicating their power to the authority feel like they're learning because the authority is telling them what's true and not giving themselves any accountability or responsibility for ownership of what's being told to them. They're just accepting it and saying it's true because the authority says it's true. Well, schools have done the same thing in the last couple of decades to children and actually dumped information onto their heads and said, this is true. And more and more, the critical thinking process has been removed from schools, especially at the university level. But then you have parents who are also teaching their children the same way. You know, if a child says, oh, that's a great green folder you have, and it's not green, the parent immediately corrects the child because the child has to be smart, perfect, and looking through the eyes of the parent. But uh, another way to teach that child is to look at the child and say, huh, you think that's green. Well, then what color is this? 
And you start to give the child the opportunity to see life through his or her own eyes. And you bring back the Socratic method and you bring back the guidance of children to see the world through their eyes and to take ownership of their truths and their experiences and their knowing by looking into the wonder and the unknown and the uncertainty of life that they're just discovering. Whereas we kind of lost as an adult population the ability to look at life through wonder, through awe, through uncertainty, and through unknown. And one of the things that I try to do in my practice is to remind parents that the part of child development where children are just discovering things and just touching things and, and finding things for the first time is still a part of our development, but we have forgotten it. And in so doing, we decide that we're going to dump our knowledge into children the way the authorities dump their knowledge into us. So this is giving us a huge opportunity to reframe how we empower children to know things. And if we as the adults can stop making them see the world only through our eyes and start to really see how does a child see the world through his or her eyes, we can really begin to educate instead of train children. And as long as I've been watching the educational system since I'm a kid, there's been a removal of the ability for children to actually see the world through their eyes. And I, I, I just want to bring up a song that I learned in the 1970s by Harry Chapin called Flowers Are Red. And it's about this little child who goes to school. I think it's kindergarten. And he's drawing flowers, different colors, and the sky, different colors, and the grass, different colors. And the teacher comes by and says, no, no, young man. Flowers are red, green grass is green, the sky is blue. And by the end of the child trying to use different colors, the child went to a new school and started to draw the grass is green and the sky is blue and the flowers are red. And when the teacher said, why? The, the kid said, because that's, that's the way it is. And yet that was a new teacher that was trying to expand the child's creativity. And so whenever a child asks me a question, I almost never give the child the answer because I want to know the creativity, the imagination, the process by which a child is seeing the issue through his or her eyes. And it also gives the parent an opportunity to know how to next answer the kid because kids ask a lot of questions. And the reason for kids asking the question is not necessarily because they want the answer. They don't, it's not because they want the knowledge. They want the connection from the adult. And that connection comes from us being able to see the world through the children's eyes and say, I don't know, what do you think? And so I'd love for us to bring yeah. back into education, not training. I love the distinction, the distinction between training and education. And I was one of those questions, according to my mother, that asked lots of questions, too many questions. My kids actually accuse me of asking too many questions <laughs> still too. to this day. They're like, stop asking so many questions. But it's that in asking the questions that you get people to think 
And um, so I think that's so important. Chris, we were talking earlier about keeping staying wild and how we, you know, and, and what you just said too, Larry, I see the actual in the last couple decades since I was in school and since my I've been schooling my children has deteriorated rapidly that our children are products of the state to the extent where they're putting in curriculum that if people parents actually looked at the curriculum no one would want their children learning that curriculum around sex education specifically but also i mean i'm listening into my daughter's you know online courses she's at a performing arts school she just graduated and and the vaccine indoctrination the black black lives matter indoctrination all of these things the curriculum that the liberal schools let's say we all many of us live in a liberal area um and where they're influencing our children around topics um has it, it's just become extreme extreme very very quickly can you speak to that chris from your perspective of everything that you do and what you've seen it, it has been extreme i mean it's it's unbelievable to me the transgender agenda um and uh we have because we started a main stands up group, uh, you know, with Pam's gar- uh, guidance, our uh, one of our lawyers took his children out of a Waldorf school when they had a puppet show for six year olds. And part of the puppet show was a six year old questioning whether he was a boy or a girl. And, that's and this it. was Waldorf. This was Waldorf, Waldorf who's also show. been in, 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 um, requesting the mask, like blowing me away. If there was any school, you know, or educational system, Waldorf, it's shocking. Well, I think that what we have to realize when I look at the number of my physician colleagues in the American Holistic Medical Association and the functional medicine group and the renowned, world-renowned yoga teachers all getting the current uh, needle in the arm, um, it's as though there is some kind of mind control going on. I just listened to someone on Instagram talking about that the uh, the current variants that we're talking about are all named after brainwaves. There's the alpha variant, the beta variant, the delta variant is uh, the one that most affects children in the delta brainwaves. Uh, I think this the degree of indoctrination cannot be underestimated. Now, when my kids went to school, one private, one public, right here in my own town, I was very involved with their education. And we also sat down for dinner every night. And what I knew and still know is that the input of the parent supersedes that of the school. And I want to give you a very specific example. There's a, because my field has been women's health, and I see what happens to adolescent girls in the eighth grade, the way it's been set up. And I have said the eighth grade to have all these kids at varying degrees of development all in the same classroom at once is insanity. They should all be doing trail maintenance on the Appalachian Trail, frankly. But girls attack each other at that stage. It's brutal. And as they say, the uh, the wounds of middle school have the half-life of uranium. And I swear to you, I know women in their 50s who are still battling the mean girl syndrome. And if you don't get over that, you carry it right into the rest of your adult life. And I've always known this is an artifact of the school system. 
it's not supposed to be that way. But what I would do, because I could name it, I could see it. Uh, when my daughters had friends over who would start rolling their eyes at me and whisper in my daughter's ears about how stupid their mother was, I would say to my daughters, okay, that kid, what she just did, that's not acceptable here. And the degradation of the feminine and women begins right here in our own kitchen. And you keep that up and I'm going to come into school and give a lecture about how the um, women and the feminine being pushed down begins with the way you treat your mother. And of course, they were so um, uh, afraid of me uh, doing mortified, that. Mortified. Mortified is the word, mortified. <laughs> that it extinguished the behavior. And I really want to say, and you know, this goes back to Andy and Larry and, and Pam, the parents have to start being adults they need to start being the adults in the room. I mean, I was ready to go into that school guns blazing when my daughter was in first grade. You know, the teacher had a, a bathroom schedule. Now, I've seen adult women with chronic urinary problems because in school, starting in school, they were not allowed to go to the bathroom when they needed to go. So I went in there and I said, this is not acceptable. We, are, we need to learn how our bodies function. And they don't function according to your schedule. Um, now, that was then. Things have gotten so much worse now that I, I think this reminds me of what we all need to do with sovereignty and dominion around our own bodies. You do not, you do not give your child over to the medical system. I mean, Larry, you know that our entire profession of pediatrics has become nothing more than the opportunity to give seven inoculations at the same time. I mean, that is now the profession of pediatrics. The profession of adult medicine is deteriorating into the same thing. And, and the, the downfall of the so-called medical system and the education system are absolutely parallel so that people are from before birth, from before birth, mothers and fathers. Oh, we can't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can't call them mothers anymore. We have to call it the birthing parent because, okay, the family is, if you can take the mother out of it and the father out of it, then you've really got an automaton to stick into the matrix. And that's where we're headed here. That's where we're headed. But if you can strengthen someone's sense of them, their own health, their own sovereignty, their own body, that inner no, that inner no, then you've got someone who cannot be controlled. And frankly, you can, there are kids who manage to do that within the public system as it exists right now, but, but very, very few because at adolescence, and Larry, if you could talk to this developmentally, how everyone wants to be the same as their peers during adolescence. I mean, I would have all these phone calls from other seventh graders. What are you wearing today? What are you wearing? You know, they'd all like have to check in to determine what they were going to wear to school that day. So they need to individuate in some way from their parents and be part of their peer group. But as um, one of my friends says, Peer group is Lord of the Flies. They need to have 
adults being adults. Right. But if you could talk to adolescents particularly. Yeah. I'll answer it very quickly because um, children best learn by watching other people. Yeah. They don't learn best by what you tell them. Right. That's why when you hear parents say, my kid doesn't listen to me. Well, it's because they don't listen as a way of doing. They model as a way of doing. Mm. And so if, if you understand that children learn by modeling and watching, then you'll understand that the peer pressure that you see a lot of in adolescent is no different than the peer pressure you see in the adults around them. Yeah. And so it's just like, why are kids using their cell phones so much? Because the adults around them are using their cell phones so much. So I think we need to remember, you know, I remember as a kid, do as I say, not as I do, you know, like, uh, excuse me, but that's how I learn. <laughs> and that's how I either respect you or don't respect you. Um, but the other thing that I also think we're missing, and I think the Native Americans really held this the best, is that in older Native American cultures, uh, the boys and the girls were separated. The girls were with the women and the men were with, the boys were with the men. And 10-year-olds uh, were learning from 12-year-olds and 12-year-olds were learning from 15-year-olds. 15-year-olds yeah. were learning from 18-year-olds. And so you were getting an understanding of how you fit into society as a boy becoming a man and as a girl becoming a woman. And we have lost that ability to understand how children need those tiered relationships to really understand who they are. A lot of the peered groups are what create the fighting and the, and the, you know, the, the self-doubt and this loss of self-esteem because it's all this competition and, you know, I, I have to wear those shoes because she got them and I have to wear that necklace because she got them. It, it's become so peer related that we've lost the individuality. And I think the powers that be are afraid of that individuality. And uh, we, we want to try to encourage that. I think Andy wants to add something to that, Imani. Jump in, Andy. Yeah, thank you. And you know, that individualism versus collectivism, Larry, you were just about to get to um, that, you know, that's exactly what it is, right? Because they want us to be one body, the philosophy of collectivism or communitarianism, which is really essentially communism. And it strikes out the individual as being of, of significance or importance. And this is uh, built into the structure of the, the school system, right, where you have a fixed length of time for each subject. So it's not whether the work that they were doing or the project that they were creating was important uh, enough to continue, right? It has to be stopped at the strike of a bell so that they could be shuttled off to, you know, the next place. But the issue about the peer groups is really important. And uh, actually, Gabor Matei wrote a whole book about this um, because how it disrupts the relationship between the parent and their sons and daughters. And it's not just learning academically from the older peers, because if you think about the natural way 
children would be raised in a community, you know, before compulsory schooling was established. And that's a very recent phenomenon in human history, by the way. You know, it's our whole lifetimes and we kind of feel like it's always been that way, but it has not <laughs> always been that way. And in a community setting, you know, you don't have uh, necessarily kids of all the same exact age, right? You have kids of different ages. And when they're in socializing in various situations, you know, even without adult supervision, the kids who are a little older and have a more developed sense of morality, you know, they kind of police the younger kids and make sure they don't get too out of line. And they set a good example, you know, of how to get along and how to do things. And so there's this informal teaching and mentorship that that just naturally occurs. And of course, the ultimate authority, you know, is the parent. And uh, if they maintain a primary role, um, you know, in the in their son and daughter's life, like as Larry pointed out, right, they have to actually be around to be the influence and they actually have to, you know, have the model the behavior that they want uh, for their children. But when we artificially put, you know, 30 or 40 kids in the same room that are all the same exact age, there's no one of a higher status or level of experience or development to, you know, uh, look up to for that mentorship or guidance. So it is just like Lord of Flies, uh, like Christian pointed out. And that's why you have these kids who are so resistant to their parents and rebellious because they're under that Lord of the Flies uh, influence. You know, it's kind of like the ninth graders versus the world. And so it, it is this artificial structure of the, you know, compulsory indoctrination camps that establishes these phenomenon that, you know, they make fun of on sitcoms and uh, sort of act like it's just a normal stage of development. Yes, and completely artificial. And I think, but we've accepted it as normal. And, and that was one of the things that I've been talking about is that this stuff has become normalized. So this is what we, we think normal, just like people think the clouds today are normal and how they've changed the educational system and all the books and documents to kind of verify what they're saying. This brings me back to this idea of rewilding and there's a, uh, you know, like raising our children with instincts intact. Chris, I mean, you were explaining your childhood and I love the story that you shared this morning and then we'll kind of close with Pam back to the resources, but how you grew up and what, how we get these children back to this rewild untaming. There's that book out there that Renette mentioned, um, untamed, but this is really what we're coming to, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up on a, my dad was a dentist, but we had a, an Angus farm with chickens and so on. I remember my mother chopping the head off the chickens. Um, I learned how to drive in an old, uh, World War II Willie's Jeep on the back hill. Uh, we took all of our friends up to the back hill, jumped the diversion ditch with the with the Jeep. We had a trampoline in the haymow. You'd jump off the bales of hay onto the trampoline. There was rope there to swing on. Um, I was talking with a friend, you know, years later, and she said, my God, you were just allowed to run wild. My brother had a cabin up in the woods. He'd go up there with his friends and probably smoke and drink. I mean, we were, my sister and I took off with the horses once when we were 10 and 12 to just go spend the night in a field. I mean, we woke up in the morning. We thought our horses loved us, but they were gone. And a, a local farmer had just put them in the barn as they were walking home. But that's how I grew up. And you can't do that anymore. I mean, even where I grew up, you can't do that anymore. Now we have we have car seats. I mean, to me, a car seat is a prison. 
<laughs> for a child. I've always hated them. I've always had a hard time getting the kid into the thing. And uh, now I, we do all this for safety. We might as well bubble wrap everybody <laughs> at the moment that they are born. I mean, it, it is amazing that uh, some of us lived to tell about it. Um, you know, but I think that we've we've really gone way too far into the, you know, this thing last year, right? What did it become? Stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. Why? How about live loud, live wild, actually live your life? Because guess what, folks? This is a freaking gangster planet and it's not safe here and nobody gets out alive. So it would be good for us to just start in with that. You know, Imadi, after what uh, Christiane just said, I remember a meme that said, today a 10-year-old has a Wii, an Xbox, a PS5, an iPad, a computer, and a cell phone. When I was 10 years old, I had outside. Yeah, yeah. Get you know, Larry, Larry. go out and play. I'm so glad you brought that up because when when we started the year as a new, you know, home education family, it was challenging. And I realized that it was because of the electronics that the kids were doing, that they were basically addicted. Yeah. And so I got rid of it completely, 100%. No TV, no computers, no video game consoles, no tablets. And they could only use the computer essentially for doing research for school. And, you know, there was some resistance at first, of course, but it didn't last long. And what happened was amazing. The kids started reading books. <laughs> they, start, they started teaching themselves how to roller skate. <laughs> you know, um, they, they did all kinds of things that were much more social, that it required much more engagement, that were exploratory. You know, like I think I'm my kids are the only ones in the neighborhood that actually walk themselves to piano lessons, soccer practice. You know, like I don't drive them back and forth. I trust them to walk, you know, 10 blocks away and do their thing and come back. Right. So after that transition basically was the beginning of the kids doing their own schoolwork without me even telling them what to do. I just ask them, what are you doing for school today? <laughs> so like that is such a key, key thing that you have to get rid of those influences. Yeah, and even the idea, Andy, so when I merged my family, I had my three children that had always been homeschooled and home birth and merged with a, you know, a blended family with, they, one was in um, Montessori and one was in public school, 10 and five. And it was literally a process for a year of de-schooling and getting them to know that they could think for themselves. And of course, at that time, we had no electronics, which was a little bit easier than today because it has gotten harder and harder a half, you know, day. And my children are grown. My baby's 18, so I can't tell them what to do anymore or take away their devices. But we, they, didn't, they weren't exposed to them for a really long time. And, and um, I know Renette was mentioning, and there's uh, there's not just the the addiction to the electronics, but also just the damage from the the you know the EMFs and all of that. So I think there's so many things that people don't understand the damage to the brain, or even children looking at devices at a young age, how that impacts them developmentally. 
But I think um, we really have to look at the addiction part of it, the things that we've become addicted to. And we were talking before about children being bored. I mean, getting them to be bored so that they can be creative to actually think of things to do on their own and not spoon feeding them everything, which comes back to what you just said, Chris. Parents need to step up and be parents and not try to be best friends. And that's a great place to hand over to you, Pam, because I know you like to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, in, in my field of work, um, I'm in the healthcare profession, and I probably say at least once a week to a parent, your child doesn't need a tall friend, okay? Your child needs a parent. And, um, and, and on the one hand, and, and, the, and the thing I find most interesting is that the parents will micromanage so many things. Like they're sitting at the kitchen table doing homework with their kids every day. And they are driving them every place. Like Andy said, you know, he lets his kids walk 10 blocks and come home. We used to do that when I was a kid too. And then they completely abdicate in other areas. You can look at your phone for as many hours as you want. You can eat crap all day long if you want to eat it. And, and we're so set on the idea that children should eat anything that they want. Even if they're sick, the parents are going... You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had, I've had parents say, I, are you going to come over to my house every night and deal with when he throws his body on the floor because he can't have macaroni and cheese? And I've actually said to parents, listen, if you don't get this straightened around now, you're going to need volume and a drip bag when this kid has a driver's license. I mean, seriously, <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous thinking. And I, one other thing I want to say, and then I'll talk about resources a little bit, is that I think the thing that made school work at all when I was a kid, I'm 64 years old, is first of all, like Chris, we were wild. All right. We, we used to call it at large. My, my, <laughs> we were at large in the neighborhood. You know, my, my mother had all she could do to get us to come in to eat lunch. And then we were back out. In yeah. Right. So so um, but having said that, the thing that made schools not so bad and actually kind of good back then is community. Yes. The, the school, everything was localized. All yeah. right. And and so today that's all been taken away. And going back to like reading a lot of these guidelines that I've been looking through, it's all, well, this is what we're going to do, but we're going to defer to somebody else as soon as they tell us to defer to somebody else, which means that there's no local control. And I think that's what's very frightening to parents right now, should be very frightening to parents, is that somebody who you've never seen, who doesn't know anything about your community or your child is making all these decisions that are going to affect your community and your child. And nobody would pre, um, nobody would think about this and decide to do it this way. In other words, if a parent said, I'm going to send my kid to a school where somebody in Washington is going to tell them what to do, nobody would enroll a child under those circumstances. So I think one of the things we have to do is keep doing sessions like this so that parents become aware of how disconnected everything is from the way it should be. Because I, I think that's part of the problem we have is parents just don't think about this stuff. And I agree with what was said before. I think, Andy, you said this became babysitting during the day. So we get the kids up in the middle of the night, put them on a bus, and then I can get to work on time. And nobody really pre, uh, pre-planned that either. It just was the default setting. So what we want to do, again, is we want to give parents options because I think, and this is the, the local gathering. And, I wanna, and I've said this thing about local schools. One of the things that has happened in our communities is there is no local focus, okay? Everybody is connected by electronics. So you've got 300 people who have their name and email address in a database. They could live across the street from each other and not even know each other. (laughs) A lot of those people are all over the place. And, And the way things work when they work well is people together, working together. 
And so we've said from the get-go, and I got a lot of pushback on this in the beginning, but people are starting to see the wisdom in it. Our groups do not meet by Zoom and conference call. Our groups are community together, people in the same room. Because you know who cares about businesses in Worthington, Ohio? People who live in Worthington, Ohio. Okay? You know who cares about businesses in Maine? Chris and her friends, all right? I mean, I care about businesses in Maine, but, you know, I'm not going there to any of them next weekend. You are, right? And you know who cares about the community, the, the community, right? So so we've got to, this is going to be the most incredible thing ever. And it's, it's, you know, I look at everything as a gift. Like when this stuff happens, it's a message from God. What am I supposed to do? And I think what I'm supposed to do and what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to gather up groups of parents in an area so they can work with each other. Nobody has to know everything going in. They just all have to agree. We all have this shared objective. We care about our children. We want them to have a great future and they can't have a great future unless they have a great learning experience now. Not a training experience like Larry said, but but a learning experience. And there are so many ways to provide it. One last thing I'll say, and I think this is really very important too, and we're, we're putting out the eight, you know, all points bulletin to get these people in. When you're in public education or even private education, if you don't have a teaching certificate, you can't teach. Nobody in this group can go into a public school and teach, even though we're all experts, recognized experts in health, all right? If you're one of the best artists in the world, you can't teach high school art without a teaching certificate. This is lunacy, absolute lunacy. So not only are we gonna get people together so that they can educate their kids together, get strength in numbers and support one another, but we're gonna bring in people who really have something to offer because they're experts in the field. They've got experience in the field. And one of the things I'm, I'm just so excited about this, I can't stand it. We're gonna open up this building. I have a commercial kitchen, a gym, a yoga studio. I mean, think about kids coming here for health class, all right? Think about teaching kids how to make meal plans and cook for their families. That is useful information. Love it. Right? Like Not real, real life skills, Pam. I mean, but that, that brings to the point of people have a lot of resources, looking at the resources in the community, the businesses that are shut down or reduced hours that could facilitate mm -hmm. and host things like that is so yeah. important. Yeah, and that, so it's community. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna launch this after July uh, 4th. We can get through the holiday, people. I think we're gonna have a holiday this year because our benevolent rulers are gonna let us have a holiday, right? So, <laughs> so we'll take advantage of that. We'll launch after, and our task force is working hard on this, but but we're gonna start having conference calls and Zoom sessions for, for parents to help them understand with experienced parents like you guys who can talk to them um, about how to do this. We're gonna provide a lot of resources. We're gonna gather people up by school districts. If you're interested in this, either because you have something to offer as a contributor, you're a retired teacher, a substitute teacher, an artist, a musician, a, you know, a gourmet cook, whatever, contact me. If you're a parent who needs help, contact me. My email address is pampopper at msn.com. And um, I want to gather up, I've, my goal from the beginning of this whole thing was gather up 80 million Americans who believe in freedom to choose health and freedom to choose for their family. I think this is the going to be one of the most easy things we've ever done because if, if one thing that parents do care about is their kids. And this stuff that I'm finding online should scare everybody into doing something different this school year. So, yeah. Let and me just say, um, yep. our group here in Maine, um, 800 people uh, formed a, you know, a non-school homeschool network. We had soccer games, we have a baseball team, and we had a prom. Huh. That happened 
this this past spring. And you yeah. probably didn't mark the children on their hands. And, and did you hear about that? And I sure did. And that was Exeter Academy. In oh New my gosh, that was so horrible. They marked the kids. They t- tattooed yeah. them for, for vaccinated versus non-vaccinated right. and made them raise their hands just so they'd know who they were about. It was disgusting. For the yeah. prop, they didn't know who to think, dance with. Which right. is I think what's also yeah. really interesting, Imani. Yeah. That the business of America is business. And I think people maybe begin are beginning to understand that change doesn't happen because you elect a new official. Change happens because you change the way you spend your money. Mm-hmm. And the only way for anybody who's in a benevolent rulership mm-hmm. is going to wake up yeah. is if we stop purchasing the very thing that they tell us we must buy. And the fact of the matter is, is that currently what we're seeing is an across the board rulership about everything we must buy. And we in the medical profession are trying to educate people to change their purchasing power to different kinds of healthcare now we're talking about educating parents about changing their purchasing power around their children's educational systems. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I believe change will occur because it won't happen sitting in our backyard and it won't happen even protesting at some city hall. No. It'll happen because the business of America is business. And once we start purchasing our products in a different way, there will be some attention given to what we're doing. Yeah, and schools are business and the money is being funded for them to run the certain programs. So I think when, again, power to the people, this is about we the people stepping up, protecting our children, protecting our families, protecting our communities. Um, Pam, you gave out your personal email, but also the website again is makeamericansfreeagain.com. So all the resources are on there. We're all plugging into that and promoting. I'll be sending out an email list for anyone that's on bravenewlife.net. And also this will be up on my podcast at momlution.com and then streaming. We're having a lot of censorship right now. So um, this will be reposted at earthheroestv.com. And we really want people to share this information because I I feel like this is one of the most relevant conversations of our time. We're looking at the children who are dealing with this right now and um, we know that the future generations are going to be impacted from everything that has happened in this last year. So it's so important that we as parents step up and take action and don't participate in the system and the indoctrination. So thank you to all these wonderful voices of truth out there. I appreciate you all, Larry, Andy, Chris, and Pam. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye.